Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckes and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Warriors, warriors, come out to play. Show me you want to be here. Show me you want to win. Show me you want to, you have that killer instinct. I do look at myself as being one of the most dominant fighters in MMA history. He didn't know it was going to be a buffet, though. He thought it was going to be a three-piece. Now you're getting the whole MGM Grand Buffet to the face, man. What's up, everybody? It's time for another episode of the RJ Ringside Podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Fang, and I'm joined with our MMA writer, Adam Hill. We're brought to you by betonline.ag, and we are both right now at the UFC Apex, where UFC on Vegas 4 just concluded, or UFC on ESPN 12, whatever one you want to call it. Uh, UFC is about to head to Yaz Island, Abu Dhabi, for their next round of fights, and maybe back here in August for more fight cars. We've also got a great interview lined up for you here. We have Justin Janes joining the show you're going to want to stay tuned throughout the duration of this recap episode to hear from him he had a huge win last week here at the ufc apex and we're going to get into that with him and talk about his future with the ufc but adam let's get into what happened here tonight in the main event just epic main event adam we have to get into this fight between dustin poirier and dan hooker man i mean where do you put this on your all-time list of great fights that we've seen yeah i don't like making those kind of rankings right after you see it i think you have a lot of recency bias and what you just saw. I would say it was the best fight of this run here at the Apex. I think it was the best fight of the year. I think I have to go back and look a little bit more, but you know, historically I think it was you know one of those fights that everybody's going to remember for a long time, and a fight that meant so much in the lightweight division. Two guys that are right there uh, that both have a chance to perhaps get into that title picture, depending on, you know, it's very cloudy, but what happens later in the year. So, an incredible performance. It's one of those fights that you're watching it and you're like, alright, well this is going to last not very long because somebody's going down from some of these big shots, but they just kept taking more and more and coming back. Uh, it, was, it was also one of those fights, I think, as you're watching throughout, you know, you see people on Twitter that aren't really even fans of MMA that are like, I just turned this fight on. This is crazy. It was one of those fights uh, and just a spectacular performance by both guys. Dustin Poirier in the end gets the win by, I think, just having that experience in these big fights. He's fought all the top contenders. He's been there before. He was able to push through it and, uh, and get that win in the end. And this was his, I believe he's been in eight main events, five round fights. So this is one that he was able to really cap it off in the end rounds. I think Dan Hooker took the first and second. A lot of people had the first round kind of being a close round there, but in the end, I think if even if you just take that away, it was definitely Poirier 3, 4, and 5 uh, in my card anyway. But what do you think would go next for Dustin Poirier? It seemed like in his post-fight interview that he was a little apprehensive about wanting to say, yeah, I'm going to jump right back in and fight. Yeah, I don't know. I think we'll find out. We'll hear from him a little bit more. A lot of times, those immediate post-fights are a little different than what we hear You know, after an hour after they've calmed down, they've done their medicals, they come in here to the tent to talk to us, and we're still waiting to hear uh, from Dustin Poirier right now. So we'll find out what he says. I think he's in that mix, though. I mean, we've got a lightweight title fight later this year, unification bout between Gaethje and Nurmagomedov. He's fought both of them. He's split against those guys. Uh, he's in that mix. He's in that picture. And again, if one of those guys falls out, what happens? Maybe he's available. Like He's he's a guy that's in the mix there, for sure. He's got Conor McGregor. He's lost to him early in his career as well. So he's fought all of those guys at the top of the top 
the division, he's in there. I mean, he's right there with them, and you know, we'll see what opens up for him later this year. All right, let's get into the co-main event. Mike Perry had uh, just his girlfriend, Latoria Gonzalez, in his corner, but did outstanding, I think. I think the fight itself turned out to be one of the better performances I've seen out of Mike Perry as of late. What did you make of this one? Yeah, I think he shut up a lot of people, and you know, in his mind is what he was doing, and you know, everybody was making fun of it. They were laughing about it that hey, it's just your girlfriend, and there was you know backstage as they were hitting mitts before the fight. Everybody was kind of posting that video like she doesn't know what she's doing. But in the end, like Mike Perry is a guy. No surprise if you've been around Mike Perry or talked to Mike Perry, he doesn't need coaching. I mean, listen, I think he does, but he says he's a guy that goes into the fight. He's not listening to his corner anyway. He said earlier this week he listens to the other corner more than he listens to his corner, and tonight he said. Hey, by not having anybody screaming in my corner, I picked up everything the other corner was saying. They had code words for everything. I figured out what they all meant. By the end of the fight, I knew what he wanted to do. So, like, maybe it makes some sense. He's a guy, he's a brawler. He's a guy that wants to just get up off the street. He talked about fighting in a bar a couple months ago. Like, he's just a guy that wants to fight. And it's not really, you know, in his mind, I think it's not really a sport. It's a fight. And uh, he showed again today, like, that's just what he does. That's where he's comfortable. Well, let's hear from Mike Perry right now and some of his post-fight comments made tonight, specifically about his girlfriend working as his corner she did a great job she kept it very simple she shouted a couple things i heard her during the fight and i remember like telling myself okay there you go she getting into it now and uh she was like keep your hand up there was like one time he had swung and just missed so get your hand back up i was like all right and then um in the corner you know when she was in there rubbing the ice on me she kept asking me Hey, is this, uh, where do you want? Uh, what else do you want? What can I do? And she was, you know, trying to do more for me. And it was really cool just sitting there quiet and just thinking about how the next round was going to go. And yeah, I did hear his coaches and I heard them saying like, um, I can't think of the word, but they had like secret words for like moves. And then I started figuring out what those were that they were asking for. And around the third round, I heard a couple of things that I heard throughout the fight. And then I was like, oh, I know what he's about to do. They said something about Razor. And then I realized he's throwing elbows at that time from a distance. I was like, okay. And, uh, and you know, I felt like I remember thinking, man, your, co your corners could be telling you more. Like, they're not telling you enough. You need to do something. And um, also, damn, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, I remember the fight before mine, or the heavyweights. And I remember Gian Vellante going back to his corner, and then the coach was like, what are you doing? Well, you're not doing nothing. And it's like, bro, you ain't doing nothing, bro. You sitting on the outside. Don't come in here and make me. And then I think Michael Bisman was like, oh, that's great coaching. No, that's terrible. Don't make the guy feel bad and down on himself. Amp him up or something. Give him, I mean, come on, bro. Heavyweights, too. Like, what do you think he's doing? He's trying to not get knocked out. That should be first. It, it, I understand that we're entertainers and we got to go out there and we got to fight and we got to put on a show. But you also, when you get in that cage, you got, or that octagon, excuse me. When you get in the octagon, you got <clears throat> a show purse and you got a win bonus. That win bonus is more important than putting on that show. Cause the fight's a fight, you gonna fight or not, that someone's gonna bring it. 
and the show is gonna happen. So if you need to be smart, technical, more patient, it's, it's almost harder to be patient and wait for the good shots rather than just go forward and just keep getting kicked in the arms and all this. And these coaches are like asking for stuff and they putting guys in positions to, especially heavyweights, walk into shots and get dropped and beat. Like these coaches that haven't even been in the position that w their fighters are in. That's why I don't have, I didn't have coaches tonight because I did though. She was perfect because she, she knows she hasn't been in my position. So she, she spoke from a humble standpoint on the outside. She kept it simple and I didn't need any advice. I, maybe that was luck tonight that I didn't. Uh, it was good, good luck to get this opponent, but you know, I, I handle business and I'm gonna go back to the drawing board and try to put a team together that we can work uh, for upcoming events. All right, Adam Biaz Island is coming up next. Uh, what big fight there is on your radar for the first event card that is happening there at Abu Dhabi? Yeah, listen, I think we've got you know three title fights on the horizon. Uh, the Gilbert Burns Kamar Usman fight, big for everybody. I think a lot of people are excited about that one. I'm looking forward to seeing that one. I want to see if Gilbert Burns can keep that momentum going. He's a guy that just keeps fighting these empty arena shows. He's comfortable there. And uh, Kamar Usman coming off, you know, kind of becoming a little bit more of a superstar. Where does he stand? How is he getting ready for this fight? So I'm excited to see all of Fight Island. It's here. It's Time. We're going to see what it looks like. We saw the training octagon tonight out on the beach. Uh, so there's a lot to lot to look forward to with a run of fights at Fight Island and right back here to Vegas for some big time fights as well later this year. Okay, Adam, let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Justin Janes. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Interesting times for you, man. I know you've been uh, you've been working toward. Uh, this opportunity for a long time. So just, I guess, first of all, let's just start off with uh, finding out that you were going to have a chance uh, to to compete in the UFC. What was that experience like for you? Uh, you know, it's kind of surreal at the point. Uh, you know, it's when Jason called me on Wednesday night. Uh, it was kind of, I'm not, it wasn't really expected, I guess. Um, you know, I've always been hoping and, you know, hoping to expect it coming up here in, in the near future. But when he actually called and delivered the call, it was kind of surreal. I was on my way to dinner and uh, kind of just told him, all right. And turn around, went home, and uh, you know, it took me a couple of days, but I, I was so overwhelmed uh, with everything I had to do right away, I couldn't couldn't really bask in it for too long. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the thing was, uh, I guess the best way to describe it is uh, overwhelming and surreal, really. All right, so I'm very fascinated by this. Where were you going to dinner? Oh, I was going to get Thai food, man. I go hard <laughs> on the Thai food. <laughs> so, I mean, you can't. I mean, I'm I'm assuming you're like, oh man. No noodles. I'm kind of screwed here. Like, this is a tough decision. Uh, but obviously an, an easy call. Like, hey, listen, it's a chance to go to the UFC. Um, but it, it's not the normal UFC experience, right? So at the Apex, it's a different kind of feeling. As you're walking out, is it 
are you feeling the same thing that you think a lot of other fighters do when they say, hey, I'm walking out to the UFC, or is it different? Like, what is what does the venue change mean to that make, making your UFC debut? You know, coming coming from a wrestling background, high school wrestling, college wrestling background, most of the time, you know, your dual meets or, or your, your matches, there's not very many people in the arena. So I've already had that experience through my whole life. Um, but it was tunnel vision, man. As soon as, as soon as my music came on, I started walking down through. I was tunnel vision. I didn't care if there was one person there or 100,000 people there. I was, I was on a mission, and uh, you know, I accomplished what I set out to do. When you when you're thinking about you know the fight, you don't you don't have long to think about it, which maybe in the end is helpful. I, I don't know, but when you're thinking about the fight, do you think it in your mind? Do you picture it going as well as it did for you? Uh, yeah, man, I've been visualizing that for for years and years and years, man. It's it's just like you know hitting that you know you have the bases loaded, uh, full count in baseball, and you hit your home run to you know your walk off home run to win the game. That's that's kind of how it was. You know, I've been visualizing that since I was like ten years old or something along, along that nature, anyways, in some major sport arena. So, uh, yeah, I can't say I was surprised, um, but, you know, to actually follow through and, you know, accomplish is, is uh, it's pretty awesome. It, you know, you mentioned you've been working to this for a while. You've been thinking about it for a while. Kind of kind of walk people through your your journey in MMA. Like, how did it begin? How did you decide you wanted to do this? And, and then the process of getting through and, and making this the UFC, what was that experience like? And it's a, it's a, I'll try to make a long story short here, but, you know, in 2007, I was working at a gym uh, called Steel City in Richmond, Michigan. A guy named Andy McGill. Uh, from my good high school wrestling round, and uh, I took a fight for really quick, first 30 seconds of the fight. There's a head kick thrown. I was like, man, I don't, I don't want to mess with this anymore. And I just, and I had no idea what any chokes were or anything like that. I just thought I was a tough kid. Um, after that, I said I'd take one more. We, I ended up taking one more. I won by decision. I fought in a VFW hall in front of like 20 people, and uh, then I was hooked after that. I went on like a seven fight amateur winning streak, and. Uh, fought some of the toughest guys around at that time. You know, that was back in the day when there was no sanctioning. So you could fight as much or as little as you want. You could fight every weekend. You could fight, you know, three times a week, five times a week. If there was enough shows going on, you could fight twice in the same night if you wanted to. Um, so anyways, uh, fast forward a little bit to 2009. Uh, Darren Crookshank was my roommate in college. We wrestled at Olivet together. And uh, he came out to Vegas to Extreme Couture to train. And uh, I ended up following him out here. Uh, but... You know, after I graduated college in 2011, I decided to myself I want to be a professional fighter. I had to move to Las Vegas and train Extreme Couture full time. So uh, I did my college internship at Extreme Couture my junior and senior year. And when I graduated, uh, the rest is history. I became one of the wrestling coaches there and uh, uh, turned pro in 2013. You know, I had 19 fights, had some highs and lows uh, fighting through a World Series of Fighting, uh, Bellator, TWC, WXC, uh, Fight Club, OC. Um, and I fought, you know, I tried to fight as much as I could all around the world, fought in Scotland, fought in India. And then uh, to get this call, uh, you know, all, all the lows paid off and uh, everything worked out the way it was supposed to. You, you have had a lot of highs, but as you said, there's there's always lows in anybody's journey. Was there ever a time where you questioned, you know, your, your journey or, or your, you know, decision to go to this route? Yeah, definitely. All, all the time, monthly, daily almost, <laughs> you know, especially recently. Um, you know, taking the losses is probably the hardest thing, uh, because, you know, take, you're inching forward on your wins and you're losing feet on your losses. You know, uh, when I lost to, uh, when I lost to Jesse Gross, it put me six and three and, uh, I was really depressed there. I remember going to the bar afterwards and talking to one of my best friends at the time and telling him that I just don't think I have, you know, what it takes anymore. It's going to take too much time to get back on a winning streak, you know, because you, you, you can, you can win five fights in a row and then just ruin that whole streak with one loss and. 
I did that a couple times throughout my career. You know, early on, losing to Jesse Gross when I was six and three, or losing to Tommy Aaron when I'm on a five fight win streak at eleven and three. So, uh, yeah, the, the losses are the low because when you lose, you know, you have to put in at least four, three, four, five more fights, which could be, you know, two to three more years into the sport, two to three more years without making any money. So that's, uh, I was able to persevere through all that. And, uh, fortunately, like I said, got the call and, uh, all in a day, baby. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously that, that debut was, uh, something that a lot of people were talking about. How, how long after that win does it kind of settle in? Like, Oh my God! I took a fight on a couple days' notice in the UFC, and I won in the first minute. That was unbelievable. Yeah, that uh, that took a while, and I'm <laughs> still kind of adjusting to that. Honestly, just again being overwhelmed by media, being overwhelmed by you know fans, being overwhelmed by the UFC in general. Um, it's still sinking in. Um, you know, when I woke up the next day, the first thing I did was I remember I was in the hotel at my hotel and. I put take my right hand, put it on my forehead just to make sure I still had a scar there, you know, just to make sure I had stitches there because it's a dream come true, man. It's like this stuff that, you know, fighters dream about and uh, not even just dream about winning, but dream about, you know, finishing their first fight in 30 seconds with, you know, a couple of big shots right out the get go. And uh, I was able to get in there and do it and uh, I know it for the rest of my life. I was curious about, and you mentioned this in your post-fight um, speech, that you really want to get after Jakar Close because yeah. he beat you in a high school wrestling match. Can you describe the terms of this wrestling match, what happened in it? And uh, I know you're hungry to get at him, so uh, tell tell us why what happened in this sure. match. Well, I, I think Jakar is just an awesome athlete in general. I think he's an awesome fighter. He's an awesome athlete in high school. Uh, and he's a great person, too, so it's not a personal shot of him. But, you know, in 2007... Uh, the whole year, I was ranked second in the state. He was ranked first in the state. Uh, we both win our region. Um, and then we by some bracketing, we both get put on the same side of the bracket. Uh, he was 55-0. and 0, I was 58-0. And, 0. and uh, from my understanding, from if the way I remember it, he beats me by one stalling point, which is a referee discretion call, if, if you know wrestling scoring. So I was really salty about that. You know, we should have – it would have been always nice to go to overtime and, you know, see who actually won. The ref would just if the ref would just let her throw us off, but that was a long time ago, and uh, I do want to fight Jakar down the road. I want to get a little momentum going, you know. I want to get some brand behind my name, you know. Jakar, he has a big name. He's like five and one or five and two in the UFC. Like uh, me being one and zero, oh, you know, it's I feel like a little puppy trying to bite, bark at the big dog. But uh, uh, give me two or three more wins in a row, and uh, me and Jakar handling our business from 2007 would be uh, another fairy tale story. I love this though because I feel like you already have like a hit list because you want Alex Caceres too. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, uh, you know, before I got in the UFC, I was like, you know, I'm looking at some of these guys that I know I can beat at this time, and, you know, Alex was one of them, and I saw him tweeting about something, and I, and I, I just kind of put it out there publicly. I was like, dude, man, I'd smash you. Like, I don't, I don't know how you got in or anything like that. And we kind of had some playful banter back and forth, and I remember him ending, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like, when you get to the UFC, let me know kind of deal. And uh, I'm here now, so let's go. So, I mean – I I love this. This is great. Like, but do you think this is also like part of what you need on this level? Like, you need to generate some rivalries. Not you in particular. I'm just saying, like, fighters that can generate these rivalries and get those matches uh, that people want to see for some particular reason. Like, that's always gonna gonna build up the excitement. That's always gonna build up uh, the the name recognition and all those things. Like, is that part of your thought process as you enter the UFC here? I think it's very important, but it has to happen organically. Yeah. You know, you can't be like I can't just go down the roster and be like, oh, that's a good matchup. Let me call him a or something like that. Like Drakkar, obviously, and I, you know, it's it's not it's not a heated rivalry, but there is a little bit of a rivalry there, and you know, I think that has a good story behind it. And uh, Casares, you know, a couple of years ago, I'm we're talking 
talking on Twitter back and forth. And, you know, that, that kind of has a little fun, fun twist to, especially when he says, you know, like, let me know when you get to the UFC. Well, three, four years later, here I am. And I'm ready to knock his head off. So I feel these, you know, these aren't, these aren't made up rivalries. I didn't go down the lineup and, you know, start calling guys out. This has been, you know, this has been, you know, kind of talking a little bit for years and years. And uh, yeah, I think it's the right way, but you know, when people, when I see people just again, go down the roster and try to pick a name out, like everybody calls out Conor McGregor. I just think that's, that's terrible brand. And, you know, it's, uh, I think you just, you know, get some momentum going. And eventually, you know, you, if you beat all these guys, you keep calling out, you know, you'll be able to call out the bigger names, but until then, you know, um, Alex Caceres, Dracar, Klaus, and, uh, you know, Austin Hubbard, you guys are on my radar. So I'm ready to go. I saw that one. Did the Austin Hubbard one just get, get born, uh, on that night? Uh, yeah, you know, Max and I have trained together a lot over the last couple of years. Uh, he's, he's always been a great training partner. He's a great grappler and he's, and he's taught me a lot and helped me a lot, you know, because he's such a high level grappler and, uh, you know, it's, it's nothing personal to Austin, but he beat my boy. So, you know, I don't want to avenge my loss and, and slap that guy around a little bit. How, how tough as, as somebody who's, you know, been around Max and knows him, how tough was, was all that controversy to kind of, to kind of watch the last week? And that was really, really tough, man. I feel really bad for Max. You know, it's, he's a tough kid, you know, a division one wrestler. He's wrestled the, the, you know, I think he used to train at the Olympic training, Olympic training center. You know, that's just to go show how tough this kid is. So I think there's more to the story than uh, what we saw. Yeah. You know, uh, I think Max, I think something must have really been wrong because I've never seen this kid break before. And, uh, you know, I felt really bad for him. I had to break on the big stage. I don't know if it was the nerves or what, man. But, you know, I, I think that he's going to, you know, do some self-reflecting, get back in the gym. He's going to get tough from it. He's going to come back, and he's going to really uh, really put some shine on himself. What uh, what weight class do you think you're going to be long-term in the UFC? Uh, you know, it's, I'm going to – lightweight is uh, is my home for now. But you know what? Uh, if if uh, I got a big opportunity at featherweight and I got a full camp, um, you know, I'll, I'll go down there too. You know, it's, uh, as, as I said, in my post fight interview, I don't care if it's 45, 55 or 70, you know, I'm just looking for good openings and exciting fights, man. I don't, you know, have coming from a college wrestling background. I don't really care to, uh, sit and exchange and grappling or sit and exchange and rest Want to kind of get in the phone booth and, uh, swing and see what happens. So, you know, obviously the UFC is going to be here for a while. They're going to, to fight Island for a little bit, but then they'll be back here in Vegas, uh, long-term. Would you, would you want, I mean, you know, whatever opportunity, if it's a good opportunity, I'm sure you're, you'll be excited about it, but would you want like a full camp type notice or do you want to just be on call and let somebody know like, Hey, I'll fight this week. Uh, I'm both, you know, I'm down for both, man. It's uh, the short notices are, are, are fine. You know, like I said, a lot of my amateur career was all short notice. A lot of times I, I remember a couple of times in Michigan, I'd be showing up just to the events just to watch and the promoter will come out and be like, Hey man, we have an opening. Can you jump in? I'd be, I put my beer down and go, go dress up in the back. So Short notice doesn't affect me I, as long as I'm in shape, as long as I'm training consistently. Right now, I'm out of, I'm on medical suspension for 45 days. I got a pretty gnarly uh, cut in my forehead. So uh, once that heals, and, uh, I'll be back to be in shape in probably two or three weeks. And uh, you know, I, like I said, I, I I don't need a full camp to perform the way I perform. So uh, uh, yeah, like I said, short notice or full term. Uh, you know, I'm your Huckleberry. Okay, I wanted to ask this story, and I know you've told it a lot this week, but for our listeners, tell everybody here how you got the nickname Guitar Hero. Uh, it's it's a very, actually a really simple story. So when I was in college, uh, uh, me and my buddies were drinking in 2010. You know, uh, Guitar Hero was like the big thing. You know, it's when I was in college, is everybody played Guitar Hero. So 
after a couple of beers, you know, I'd get up on the table and I'd play Guitar Hero, standing on the table, dancing around, acting like an idiot, you know, just having fun. And uh, one of my buddies dared me to, he's like, I bet you won't come out to the ring, you know, strumming a Guitar Hero, you know, to the song of ACDC. And I said, bet. So I had I put my aviator sunglasses on, my headband, and uh, I, I got a couple of funny pictures on Facebook of me in a crowd of, you know, th- two, 2,000, 1,000, 2,000 people pretending I'm playing this guitar as I uh, rock it out all the way to the cage. Was Freebird the hardest song to play on Guitar Hero or not? You know, the, the irony, uh, Freebird, I'm trying to, the irony of the whole thing is I wasn't even that good at Guitar Hero, to be honest. I just thought I was. I could only play a couple songs on Expert, so uh, <laughs> I wasn't even that good. So, I, But uh, to your story, Freebird is the hardest song to play. Uh, on guitar here not that i couldn't i couldn't strum three notes of it so uh yeah i hung up the guitar in like 2010 that's why I like when sure dog you know i've emailed sure dog like three or four times uh to try to take it down and uh they never responded to me so i was like right, just leave it you know it's uh you know as an amateur almost every fight i would change my fight name and you know honestly at the beginning of my career not as a professional but as an amateur uh, I was a really boring fighter. I just was a grappler wrestler and I just rush guys in and take them down and look for rear naked chokes, look for guillotines. So I knew that my fighting style was boring at that time. So I was always trying to come up with a gimmick to where people would want to see me fight and get excited about me fighting. So I would always do like silly stuff. Like I remember coming out to the karate kid wearing like a, a full gi and a black belt and big aviator sunglasses and like a yin yang uh, thing uh, on my forehead. And uh, the, again, the guitar hero. There's another one where, you know, I, I dressed up like a, like a Star Wars character and I was just in the Jedi jeans and uh, like it, it was just all these little funny gimmicks. And because I, I always knew that uh, at that time, again, in 2010, when I was like a boring, you know, 2009, 2010, when I was just like a boring wrestler, that people weren't going to remember me for these exciting knockouts. They're going to remember me for my walkout. I can't tell you how many times I've you know, been in Michigan at a, at a local show and be like, Oh, you're the guy that strummed the guitar all the way to the cage. Or I did it for tough enough once, you know, where I, where I did it, you know, every now and then, but like, Oh yeah, you were that guy again, back when, you know, I was boring, but we're talking 10 years ago. So I've liked to, I've I've changed my fighting style enough to where, uh, uh, people remember me for my knockouts now. Hey, we were going to let you go, but I, I want to follow up on that real quick. Cause I actually, uh, you you said boring a couple of times. I, I how important do you think style is? And I I know what you said. Hey, people aren't going to remember it if you have that style. But to me, like I look at the Curtis Blades fight, and you know Dana Dana White criticized them afterwards for you know for just wrestling. But like, isn't the point of a fight to win? Like I feel like that's what you're trying to do when you're in there. So for for me, honestly, getting to the UFC was my main goal. And yes, to get to the UFC, you have to win. But now that I'm here, a whole I I took just took a whole backpack of bricks off my back a big weight off my back because now i can go in there and have fun and try to knock these guys out and uh you know it's like I, it, it, the point yeah i saw this trick. the point is is to win of course but i'm telling you what i'd rather you know i'd rather put on a, a three or a five round war where we're bleeding and just scrapping and lose than take somebody down and land them for 15 minutes you know i'm, I'm here i'm fighting for performance bonuses i'm fighting for knockout of the night bonuses uh, i mean nobody Nobody takes somebody down and lays on them for 15 minutes or 25 minutes. And Dana White's like, oh, my God, I'm going to give you the win of the night bonus. You know what I mean? That just that just doesn't happen. You know, at the end of my career, you know, whether it's short lived or long lived, whether I have, you know, four fights or 100 fights in the UFC. I just want people to remember, like, that guy came and he scrapped and he put it on the line every time. And if he got knocked out, he got knocked out. If 
he knocked his opponent out, he knocked his opponent out. And that's kind of what I want to be remembered for. Last thing for me, um, for the nickname thing, just one last time. Did you hear John Annett calling you Jesse James? And will you consider wearing a cowboy outfit with, you know, some uh, shoot 'em up kind of little guns or something like that for next time? <laughs> just because he kept calling yeah, you, you know, Jesse I, James. Yeah, I, I don't care about that stuff. It, at the end of it, I, I don't care about that stuff. Like, uh, I, I, John, John is one of the best in the business, man. He's, I, I was, it was an honor, even though he messed my name up. I don't, I don't care, man. It was, it was an honor to, uh, just, uh, just, uh, to, to be, to be, uh, talking to him at that time. You know what I mean? Like I said, he's one of the best in the business. Hey, I, you know what? I'm glad that, uh, you know, he made the mistake. I'm glad that he made the mistake on me and not somebody else because I know some people, some people would be really salty and care about that. And I, I really don't care. Like I said, I was honored just to have him calling me and talking to me uh, during that time. So he called me whatever he wants. <laughs> Nobody's forgetting your name anytime soon. We really, yeah. really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much and, uh, and good luck going forward. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate you guys' time. Have a good night. Thanks, man. You too. Again, everybody, that was Justin Jeans, guitar hero, as he wants to keep his nickname going in the UFC. Maybe we'll see him walk out, guns a-blazing, who knows? We'll have to wait until the next time this young man competes, but I can't wait to see him back in the octagon. It's going to be fireworks, I think, when he does get his next fight, so that's somebody you're going to want to keep your eye on, but that'll do it for us here for the RJ Ringside Podcast tonight, brought to you by betonline.ag, and don't forget, check us out on Twitter. You can follow Adam at Adam Hill. LVRJ and I'm at Heidi Fang and keep up with everything that he's doing in print or online at reviewjournal.com. That'll do it for us tonight. Thanks so much for listening.